How we connect our political beliefs, this week on the Science of Politics. For the Niskanen Center, I'm Matt Grossman. People who are pro-choice on abortion also tend to be against the death penalty. But are those beliefs internally connected? Would changing one belief change the other? And do all of our views add up to a coherent belief system? Despite long debates about the ideological innocence of the American electorate and increasing polarization, we still lack an understanding of how individuals see their political views fitting together. This week, we investigate the psychology of political beliefs. I talked to my Michigan State colleague, Mark Brandt, about his new work on belief system networks, including measuring the belief system of a person in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, and belief system networks can be used to predict where to expect dynamic constraint in the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology. He finds that beliefs that tend to go together in the society as a whole don't necessarily map on to how we see them fitting together in our own heads and the internal relationships between our ideas can be better used to predict the dynamics of opinion change. Here's our conversation. So Mark, what is a belief system network and how can it help us understand uh, people's politics? Yeah, so I mean, I think a belief system network is just a convenient label that I give it to when I just when I talk about it or study it, but I think the first question is maybe what's a belief system to begin with? And when I think about belief systems, and I think a lot of social scientists, when they think about belief systems, it's a sort of connection of attitudes or maybe attitudes and identities related to politics. And it's um, characterized by the connections between those things. So it's not necessarily liberal or conservative or libertarian or, or whatever your preferred positions are, but it's about how they're structured and interconnected with one another. And it's this kind of system or interconnections of attitudes or attitudes and identities that we call a belief system. And then we think just methodologically and theoretically, it's useful to think about that as a network because there's been this whole literature on network science that helps to uh, try to understand the dynamics of things that are interrelated. And that's kind of what we think we can maybe draw on some of that to learn some things. And here the networks are not between people, but between ideas or opinions. Exactly. So typically in, um, in political science and psychology, we'll, we'll have studies on social networks, maybe looking to see if people with more similar political attitudes, they tend to hang out or how they might influence one another and this sort of thing. And these are really interesting studies and they're just not what we're doing. So instead, we're looking at these networks, the networks here, the kind of nodes in the network or the... The, the kind of the key focal parts of the network that we're looking at are people's attitudes or their um, their identities. And then the kind of things that link them together, which are sometimes called edges, where those are kind of how those things are connected, whether they're positively connected or negatively connected or stronger or weakly connected. So as an example, we might think that someone's opinion on taxes might be related to their opinion on government spending, maybe more than their opinion on abortion or something like that. Yeah, that's right. And so and then those things might be linked to, um, you know, further attitudes or different potentially different values down the road. So it might be that there's a value of equality that kind of links up a bunch of different attitudes together. Um, or there might be particular identities, maybe people's identity identity as a Republican or a Democrat that also kind of links to these policies together. And so these kind of links that kind of um, kind of draw connections and, and hold these belief systems together. So you say that typically we have thought of or at least measured uh, these kinds of belief systems with aggregate data in a population that says kind of which beliefs usually go together. 
but uh, you think of them as properties of individuals. So kind of explain that, that distinction and maybe why we shouldn't think of a belief system as something that goes with a culture or a political community. Right. So I think there's, there's like, I don't want to have too um, strong of a distinction here in part because I think belief systems are in part influenced by people's groups and their cultures and the country or political system that they're in and this sort of thing. Um, but I think when we're measuring them and trying to get a sense of what's happening, um, I think it's useful to figure out what's going on within the individual. So I might have a belief system that is connected in one particular way, and you, Matt, might have another one, and our listeners might all have different variations of them. Now, some parts of those belief systems might be similar, so we maybe we all kind of see taxes and, uh, I don't know, inflation going together, um, but we might vary in how strongly we see those things going together, and we might connect those attitudes to other kinds of identities or values or other attitudes in different ways. So maybe I see my attitudes about abortion are connected to some of these other issues, whereas maybe your attitudes on abortion are kind of disconnected in the, or connected to things in a, in a different way. When we look at these in the kind of typical uh, political psychology, political science sort of way, we we don't really have the tools to do that. So in the typical studies, we are often taking kind of just survey data that we have, which is uh, often has a lot of strengths to it, the representative samples, the variety of issues that you can look at, and we look to see how they're correlated. Um, but that just kind of gives us an estimate for that one survey or that one sample. Um, that's interesting, but it doesn't capture any kind of nuance or kind of differences among the population. Instead, it just kind of captures what attitudes do people tend to hold together at the same time, which might be because people see them as connected, but it could happen for just a variety of other um, reasons that we're you know, not observing or not measuring. I felt like I answered a lot of stuff there. You can cut this out later. No, no that's <laughs> just good. So your intervention is uh, to connect these uh, different attitudes with uh, people's ideas about their similarity, either uh, because uh, they are asked how people connect these views in general or how they themselves do it. So kind of talk about that, that measure, what you're asking people and what you can conclude from it. Yeah, so our way of trying to expand and improve upon um, this, this literature on kind of belief systems and belief system structure and to apply it kind of to the person level is we have this task that we call the conceptual similarity task. Um, one clear downside is the name is annoying to say. Um, but the idea here is that we essentially take two, a pair of attitudes, so taxes and inflation or abortion and same-sex marriage, or you know, pick whatever pairs of attitudes you want. And for each pair of attitudes, we have people rate um, basically how likely they are they think they go together. And to do this, we, we've explored two different versions of this. Um, the results are roughly the same, so I, you know, if you're a researcher, you should use whatever you feel like. Um, but one of them asks um, about the average American. So if average American, they hold a position on, they support, say, higher taxes. How likely is it that they are going to um, support uh, pro-choice abortion policies? Um, and then you rate, like, whether or not they think those are likely to go together or not. The other one variation that we do it, we ask them to report on their own attitudes. This is a little trickier because, of course, not everybody supports higher taxes or pro-choice abortion policies. So you have to 
Uh, so we had to rephrase this a little bit differently. Um, and so this one, we are asking people essentially, imagine that you support higher taxes. What is the likelihood that you would have, uh, you'd support pro-choice abortion policies and rate how, how likely that is to be the case. And we take higher scores on that, essentially that they're more likely to see these things as connected. So that's just one pair of attitudes. We do that for, a, we'll take around 10 or 11 attitudes and that's all possible pairs of those attitudes. And if you do the math on that, it turns out that you have to do this between 70 and 100 times which is not the most exciting thing that our participants have ever done. Um, and I did all these studies myself as well, so I felt like if well, I'm going to put participants through this, I'm going to do it. Uh, but we, the idea here is that we can then take these ratings um, after this boring task and get a sense of how they see things as being connected or disconnected, as the case may be. So we have direct uh, questions about the connections between attitudes, which um, is definitely different than just kind of correlating attitudes. Um, but it still seems like people are being asked kind of for an estimate of what things look like in the American population. So are they reporting a connection between beliefs or are they just kind of reporting, here's what I see in the world? Yeah, so it's probably a mix of both, but I think that's okay for a few reasons. So, so first of all, I should say when I first... Uh, I've been giving talks about this belief system network approach and have some papers using some older methods. And one of the challenges with these older methods is kind of what I explained before is that we couldn't get like this individual estimate, which is what we kind of really wanted. And people were like, well, what if you just ask people? And my response was like, we can never ask that will never work. And so then, but then I just kind of got frustrated with my other approaches and took this approach. So I had the same reaction kind of that underpins the question. Um, but I think it's okay for, I think these, these work and I think we have some evidence that they work. So, so one is that we have some data where we'll do things like controlling for just general political knowledge or political engagement. And the measures seem to be associated with those things, but not like only those things, um, which I think is, is useful. There's correlations there as you'd expect, you know, people are highly, more highly political knowledge there, uh, kind of where they see connections are kind of what you'd expect from attitudes in the American public. But um, but that doesn't explain all the variants, and it's not actually that high of a correlation. I think it's about 0.3, if I remember right. Um, the other reason is, I think a lot of where some of these connections are coming from are people's observation about what's going on um, and what's happening in the world. And, and there's some um, there's different theoretical perspectives from sociology and from political science and some from psychology that part of where our kind of belief systems come from um, is by observing how things are connected in the world. And you see how these attitudes kind of tend to co-occur, maybe among your favorite politicians or your friends or people that you work with. And those informs how you see them connected. Uh, and I think that, so if we're picking up on that, that's kind of okay, um, because I think that's where some of these connections are probably coming from. So you also combine um, some things that political science usually keeps separately, like attitudes toward parties, um, specific policy views, and maybe broader goals like environmental protection. So kind of how do you see these things fitting together um, and kind of why do you treat them as just all just nodes in a network? Yeah, I think, um, well, so we could just do policy attitudes, for example, and that would be pretty consistent with some, some approaches. I think a downside there, though, is that then you might find that a particular policy is maybe central in the network. 
that's cool and maybe interesting, but we know from a variety of other work that it seems like partisanship is pretty important to people, matters a lot to people, and that if we're not including that in our networks, then we're going to have this kind of, we might see connections where there aren't connections, or we might see something as being central that's actually, it's not central so much as it's just a proxy for partisanship. And so by having partisanship in there um, and these other potential values, we can more clearly get a sense of what's like important and central and kind of holding these different attitudes together. I personally don't like drawing firm boundaries at where these belief systems are um, because I think we can then accidentally kind of define ourselves out of the uh, important and strongly strong uh, and yeah, the most important constructs in these belief systems. Um, and maybe some people might want to say, okay, only the policies count as belief systems and this other stuff separately as identities. And they might make that conceptual argument and that's fine. But I think it's so useful to study how they're connected. Um, and, you know, we can just label it differently. That's okay. I don't mind. So tell us about the, the main things that you're able to find in comparing how people rate these connections with their own uh, preferences uh, and their personal attributes. Yeah, so there's a few things that we can do with these networks that I think are, are useful. So one is we have some evidence that they do seem to at least impart structure than people's actually expressed attitudes. So the networks that we're getting for these different individuals, they are, um, these are just like kind of estimated how like related these attitudes are. It's not whether they're support an issue or oppose it or whatever. But we can, the idea with this perspective is that these connections do influence the, the positions people actually take. So like if you are, if you see um, tax policy and abortion policy strongly related, if you have kind of the liberal position on the tax policy, we'd expect that to kind of follow through and have you have the liberal position on abortion policy. Um, so, and so if that's the case, we should have, see kind of attitudes are more strongly connected. They should also be kind of attitudes that people hold kind of more similar to each other. So they kind of have, similar positions on them, whether that's liberal or conservative or in between. Um, and that's what we find. So we have some evidence that when you see attitudes being connected, you hold similar attitudes on that. We also have nice evidence. Um, so the, let me back up one step. There is this a nice paper by Sarah Stein and Amir Goldberg, who are sociologists. And their argument is that part of where um, kind of our polarization and kind of separation of uh, this guy. Yeah, the kind of polarization we see in society isn't so much because of our uh, social networks being only people that we agree with, but a big part of that is that we kind of see other people as having these different attitudes that go together and we, that informs how we connect our attitudes. And then this kind of pushes us and these kind of new connections push us in different directions. One implication of their model um, and this gets kind of deep in the weeds, but one implication of their model is that people who have these similar belief system networks, so they see things connected in a similar way, they'll respond to attitude issues and policy issues in a similar way, with a similar logic. Now, I don't mean that they're all will share the same view, but rather they kind of see the same attitudes as kind of going together as like you should have either you know, the liberal position on taxes and abortion or the conservative issue on both of those. Or, um, but those kind of people who have that would share kind of a logic because they see them as going together or not going together. 
And what we find in our data set, so with people who have never really even met each other, the people who have a similarly structured belief system have a similar logic in how they're responding to attitude issues answered separately on our survey. So it suggests that there's some degree of kind of organization that's going on with between this kind of belief system network part and the attitudes that people are endorsing. All right, so then the other kind of key piece of evidence here is we measured people's kind of the extent that they are strongly liberal or strongly conservative. We measured their political engagement, so just how interested they're in, in politics, how much they follow it. And we measured their political knowledge. And what you find is that people who are more politically knowledgeable, more strongly uh, identified with their party or ideological label, and who are more politically engaged, they kind of see attitudes that are that go together within the American public, um, so liberal issues with liberal issues or conservative issues with conservative issues, as going together, whereas those that are kind of like a liberal issue and a conservative issue are seen as maybe being more dissimilar to each other. So it suggests that people um, have kind of more um, highly organized belief systems, at least according to the kind of American way of organizing stuff, um, when they are more politically knowledgeable, engaged, have these stronger political identities. Um, and these models kind of you can control for all these things and they all kind of come up independently. So it's not a all just a proxy for political knowledge or engagement, but there seems to be something uh, unique about all of them. So one alternative uh, that uh, people in political science or are used to hearing political science will think about, I think, is just the ideological spectrum. Um, and political scientists have found that uh, most people's views can uh, be placed along an ideological spectrum. Uh, and that doesn't mean we're all liberals or conservatives, but there's a lot of people that are kind of in the middle of that ideological spectrum. And there are some people whose views don't really fit the ideological spectrum, but that's pretty small compared to the people who are just not quite on the fully conservative or liberal right. end of the, the spectrum. So kind of compare that view with the kinds of views that you've come up with here. I actually think that that view is really consistent with the approach that I'm taking here. So if you if you think about the kind of standard way that people, uh, political scientists and psychologists have studied belief system structure, we get like a, a correlations between attitudes in a single sample. And what you find is often the case, not always, but often is that those attitudes tend to be all positively correlated. Maybe not particularly strongly, but they're positively correlated. And actually, the dynamics of that kind of belief system would push everybody to have a consistently liberal or consistently conservative belief system. But as you say, that doesn't seem to happen for everybody. It happens for some people, for sure, but not for everybody. Um, one thing that you need to, if you kind of buy that the connections between attitudes make a difference for the actual attitudes people endorse in the end, um, to have these kind of more unique things that pop up, whether it's like the kind of uh, classical liberal libertarian attitudes or the kind of socially conservative high social welfare supporting um, ideologies that you find parties for in other countries and there's some Americans who support that combination too. Um, you need uh, differently structured belief systems where those things are connected in a different way that kind of push those things to happen to co-occur. So um, you need to have a way of getting a sense of whether there are people who see maybe you know, stronger social welfare policies as going together with their socially conservative policies on things like gay marriage and abortion and so on. Um, and uh, the kind of classical methods kind of wash that out, whereas we are able to pick out some of that nuance and in theory should be able to identify kind of the, the belief system structures that ought to lead to these different uh, combinations of beliefs.
So there are different combinations, but what about the, but you still are mostly asking people, which side are you on uh, between a set of sides? And I guess what I would say is political science usually finds most people are in the middle of those sides. And so um, part of the difference might be that whether you would expect someone to have an environmental protection pro attitude and a pro spending attitude, but it might be that there are some people who are kind of in favor yeah. of those things. How do you deal with that? Yeah, so the we've in a separate paper, we have simulations that kind of take the ideas of these models seriously and then just kind of you can throw a bunch of different parameters at it, see where things shake out. And where the people with the, well, I should put, you can't see, but I'm using air quotes, everybody. People in these simulations, they're, um, they're moderate when they have a couple of different things happening. Um, so one thing that can have that can have the sort of moderate positions or mix of positions is when um, the belief system has a mix of kind of positive connections. So people see the attitudes as going together and negative connections. So in political science, this has sometimes been talked about as a form of cross pressure. Um, where the different connections between attitudes are kind of pushing against each other. Um, and that's something that's possible. And it shows up a fair number of times with our participants in this sample. So I don't think that's so, un that's, so I think that's consistent there. The other place the simulations show that you get this moderation, it's just a different kind of cross pressure, but it's more from like um, maybe your, your kind of the demographic groups that you belong to or identify with kind of push you in different directions. So the, the rich religious person who pushes them and um, one direction, but maybe the rich secular person gets pushed in the more moderate direction on average because they get, you know, they want the lower taxes and uh, uh, maybe more socially liberal sorts of policies. And so these kind of cross pressures that maybe are, depends on how you conceptualize them, or maybe more outside the belief system-ish, those um, also push people towards those, towards those moderate directions, even if the rest of the belief system would be kind of positively connected and suggest more more uh, a clear ideological point of view. So you also use um, partisan frames uh, to adjust uh, people's belief systems. What do you learn from that? Right. So when we're in, in, in so this one paper where, where a lot of these studies that I'm referring to are in, the kind of the goal of this paper is just to see, uh, does this measure work as you might expect it to? Uh, and it's just uh, kind of a, in some ways it's a boring paper, but I think it's a necessary paper in that we need to identify like just if our measure works. Um, and so one thing that we think based on a variety of prior theories is that people are getting these connections in their belief systems just because of what they observe out in the world and they see how they see things going together in the world. And so one way to kind of induce that is with a partisan frame. You take a relatively neutral attitude that people don't know anything about, which is the case in our studies, they didn't know what these things were, and we say, this uh, farm subsidy policy, Democrats really like it, or Republicans really like it, or we don't tell them any information. And what we find is that consistent, well, we replicate past work. So when you do that, people who, who are Democrats, who hear the Democrats support the policy, they're like, awesome, love the new policy, let's get it. Um, Republicans who hear the Republican, they do the same thing, just um, they respond to their in-group party here. Um, that's what everybody kind of um, what we're able to then do here is we also then measured how they thought these things were connected. And what we find is that the partisan cue does seem to kind of basically take a link where there wasn't one and create one in the belief system between people's partisan identity and this new issue that they didn't know much about. 
Um, so this, uh, for us, was a nice way to validate that people are responding to this outside information and kind of creating links in their belief systems like we'd expect from prior theories. So you also have used just aggregate data to try to look at connections uh, between uh, viewpoints, um, but you say that they mainly sort of reflect these stable differences between some people who have these views and some other people who have these views. So explain that and why it's kind of the impetus for your method. Yeah, so this is like um, annoyingly technical, I think, but, um, you know, maybe if you're listening to this podcast, that's your thing. I don't know. But um, so basically, when you have like just a single survey, um, so this would be like typical polling data, typical survey that you see in social science research, um, cross-sectional survey. In these surveys, it's kind of capturing people at one point in time. It's when they kind of open the survey on their browser or, you know, for the 2% that answer their phone, if they're answering their phones and so on. Um, but that's just kind of where they're at in one time and space. And we, we don't really know how they got there, right? So did they get there because uh, they are, like, they, we happen to get them on this particular attitude as they're moving between different attitudinal points and maybe they're really variable and they move up and down over time. Um, or it could be that they're just always at that space. If you ask them this question in another time, it'd be the same question all the time. Um, and this has implications for then what we can infer and what these kind of correlations mean when we're looking at cross-sectional data. Because if it's kind of just capturing stable stuff, that's um, useful, um, but it's different than if it's capturing kind of where people are kind of moving in this grand space of time and space and they're going about their lives and so on. Um, so we try to separate those out and so we have some longitudinal data so we can see how much people are moving and how much people are staying the same. We can separate out their movement over time from how much they stay the same. And what we find is that those cross-sectional correlations are really, really similar to where people are just at continuously. So if we take their average S score from a 10-year period, it's really similar to the correlations between when we just take their cross-sectional scores. Um, what that means then is that actually these cross-sectional correlations, they're not capturing really how things are maybe connected for a person which is in the person's head as they, you know, they move on one attitude, they're gonna move on another. Instead, it's capturing just how, kind of where the divisions are in society. So if you think about a big correlation between attitudes, not so much that one attitude is causing the other, but rather it's just that people who are on kind of one attitudinal team or political team happen to have these sets of attitudes, um, and people on the other team happen to have these other sets of attitudes. And the correlation is more that this is a big dividing line um, between between people and in society, rather than that that's necessarily how they're connected between, for, for a person inside their head. And that's important because then, if, that's the, if this is all the case, then we can't really use these cross-sectional correlations to infer where we might see a causal effect between attitudes, um, nor can we use that to infer where we might see, um, uh, where, like for a particular person, how they would move if they changed their mind on one issue or another. Um, and that's, a, that's, I think, a pretty big shortcoming in a sense, because I think a lot of the ideas about belief systems and when we're looking, thinking about attitudes being correlated, even if we're not saying it in our papers, we're kind of, kind of guessing that that might at least be the case. Um, and I think thinking about them instead is like, here, this is where the dividing lines are in society, I think is a, 
a way that more accurately um, captures what, what we're actually measuring um, and is actually still interesting. It's just interesting in a different way. So you, you do find that you can uh, show connections between attitude changes by actually changing people's attitudes on one issue if you have this information about how they uh, connect their attitudes. Yes. So how, how do you do that and what, what do you take from it? So what we've, what we've done here is we've, we, we run these kind, of, um, these kind of complex experiments where we have multiple waves of data. In the first wave, we try to estimate um, these kind of belief systems for people. And then we, uh, the second wave, we give them um, uh, persuasive messages. And we try to change their minds on a target issue. And then we measure their attitudes towards a bunch of different issues um, that are included in the belief system. And so there's some perspectives that would suggest that if you change one attitude, you should basically never change these other attitudes. They're all independent of each other, and it's just going to happenstance that they look connected in any kind of way. Um, other perspectives suggest, well, if they're in this belief system where things are connected, at least under some circumstances, you ought to see changes on other attitudes. It's a little bit more complicated than that. Unfortunately, we've done simulations on this. It's not, if you kind of assume things are connected and influencing each other, just changing one doesn't mean that everything will change because things kind of hold each other in place. But there are cases where you can find this. Um, and in some studies, we've now done this where we measure belief systems, give people persuasive messages, we change the targeted attitude, as which is good, means that our manipulations work, um, and we see changes on closely related other attitudes. Um, we've now these other close these other changes are not big, so don't like it. Don't don't think that this is um, like um, really easily observed sort of finding. There, you know, there uh, secondary effects on and persuasive effects are tend to not be big anyway. So it's a secondary effect on an already not big effect. But we do find that there are the changes on these kind of secondary attitudes um, that are connected. They're more closely connected ones will have a bigger change than ones that are more distantly connected in these networks, um, suggesting that when we think about persuasion, when we think about messaging and these sorts of things and changing people's minds, we're not just changing people's minds necessarily on one issue, but we might be having these knock-on effects and secondary effects on other kinds of attitudes and issues. So just as an example, if I say that my that attitudes generally between gun control and capital punishment are pretty closely related, but they're not that related to things like taxes, this would mean I can change somebody's opinion on gun control and that might actually lead to a change in opinion, a smaller one, on capital punishment. Yep, that's the idea. Um, I think it's, there's, um, these kind of have gone by other different names and different disciplines. So for example, um, in the famous Converse 1964 book chapter and the kind of work following from that, they talk about dynamic constraint. Um, in psychology, uh, which is actually embarrassingly, I found this late because I also came from it from the Converse angle originally, but we, we've talked about uh, secondary transfer effects is kind of the idea from there. Um, and there's a, there's a variety of kind of works from multiple disciplines on this, trying to figure out exactly when you'll see these effects and when you won't. And that is kind of up in the air. But there's the kind of general ideas that we might be able to see and in time, at least, predict when we're going to most likely see these knock-on effects, um, these kind of secondary effects, and when maybe they'll be more muted because they're, the connection's maybe less strong or 
these other attitudes are held in place by other things, maybe other identities or other attitudes that are kind of, you know, more distant from the manipulation in the network. Um, but these are things that people are actively working on trying to figure out how we can best understand this. So. So uh, this, the way that political scientists usually talk uh, about how people get their views on things like policies that they may not have that much, know that much about is that they get them from the parties. Um, but sometimes we'll talk about it more as just if they're watching Fox News, they're going to hear one thing against immigration. They're also going to hear one thing pro-gun control. I don't know if we assume that they're making some kind of an internal connection between them. We just usually talk about it as sort of repeating what you hear. So talk about what might be at stake, I guess, in that distinction. Yeah, so I think, well, so first of all, I, I think it's, it's useful to, to know that I don't, I don't think, when, when I think about somebody's position on an issue, um, I, th I would follow the kind of standard that I think also people are kind of getting their positions from other places. And so it might be what they watch on the news. It might be, I don't know if there's, if there's personality effects on attitudes or whatever it might be, could be their position in life and so on. Um, but kind of my idea is that we should focus not only on that, but also where, what these other connections are and that people's attitudes might come from, from that as well. So it's kind of more of a, rather than an either or, I think it's a both and kind of perspective. That said, I think with the example of things like Fox News or even political parties, um, Part of what they're getting is maybe, hey, this is like the key thing. I should think this about the Ukraine war now that I watched Fox News. Um, but you're also learning that the, you know, the pundit that you heard talk about the Ukraine war, they also talked about CRT you know, immediately before that, and they were going to talk about the upcoming election and politicians you should support you know, later on in the episode. And they're also learning that those kind of batch of things go together. And I think... Um, and that's kind of what we're thinking about is how do people think about these things as going together. In our partisan framing experiment, for example, um, the focal part was the link between partisanship and this new neutral policy of farm subsidies. But what we found that was interesting is that the partisan cue not only changed how partisanship was seen as being connected to the farm subsidies, but also how farm subsidies was seen as being connected to almost all the other attitudes that we measured. And so it seemed like this partisan cue not only created the connection between the kind of focal parts of the cue, but also created these other connections as well as people kind of saw this new policy in a much more kind of, um, in a light that was maybe more consistent with kind of um, the partisan bent of these other issues. Um, so it's more than just like one, added, one connection was created, but many were. And I think that's happening when people watch Fox News or they listen to their favorite politician give a speech, they're not just learning the main thing, but they're also learning that, hey, these things, they should be packaged together and should go together. So usually when we're talking about belief systems in, in political science, we're thinking of these kind of intermediary um, views that might be above individual policy positions, um, things especially like the self-reported ideology on the ideological spectrum. Also, sometimes things like core values, like egalitarianism or social traditionalism. Um, and I know that psychologists often talk about moral foundations or other kinds of summary uh, measures. Um, so where do those fit into these um, belief systems? Are they just kind of other attitudes or might there be a role for there's some kind of overarching view that um, is not just connected to the others, but is kind of a summary? Yeah, I think it's, um, I don't think we really know the answer to this question. Um, the way that we've looked at this empirically is um, in 
in some studies that we've already done, we have people's views about the parties embedded within this conceptual similarity task. And we kind of have then estimates for these individual um, networks for each of our people, participants in our studies. And for and so um, if people's partisanship, for example, is helping to serve as some sort of summary function for their policy views, um, or if their policy views are causing their partisanship either way, um, you'd expect that partisanship would just have a lot of connections with, with all the other attitudes. Um, and so Abby Casario is a PhD student in the psychology department. She's been looking at this actually over the last few weeks. And what you find is that the partisanship um, parts of the network, they are more, for most people, not everybody, they are the most interconnected attitude or quote unquote attitude in the network. So they're connected with all these different policies um, and pretty strongly. Um, but that's not true for everybody. About, um, I think it's about 40% of the sample, they have other attitudes that are much more highly connected and so maybe are less summary-ish for them. Um, and we haven't done this with values, although this is kind of part of things we're thinking about for the future. And I think that's gonna be a similar thing with the values, is that people just see that as being connected to a bunch of stuff. Um, and so when you ask people later on about their values and you say, you know, are you more traditional or more progressive or whatever, um, that might be a summary judgment that they're, they're using, but at least how we're thinking about them in their networks, that might be, I think, I, I'm thinking about this at least as just being many more connections with other stuff. Um, and so that values or other kinds of broad political identities are more about like, they're, they're broad and they're abstract in part because they are able to be connected to all these other more specific policies. Um, and at least that's kind of how I'm thinking about them. Now, whether that means they're a summary or just another attitude, I don't know. I think that's more, almost, almost becomes a little semantic, um, but this is kind of how I've been thinking about them. So we have been talking about um, attitudes as if um, they either come from partisanship or uh, from kind of individual policies, but there's another alternative in, in both of our worlds that I know you've done a lot of work on, which is uh, social identities. That is, um, people might identify with a group, they might perceive that group as having certain kinds of views, or they might perceive the out-group as uh, benefiting from certain policies. So uh, fit your findings into kind of that world, where we're really motivated more by our social group identities and our views of groups. Yeah, so I think you can think about it in a few different ways. Um, so one is, at least in our prior, I think of partisanship as just one of these identities personally. And so when we've done these studies and included partisanship to me, I'm like, well, yeah, that's what, that's what we've done. And so we think that these are, are potentially highly related. Um, for people who are, for scholars who are interested in how people's identities are related, in, at least within this kind of way we've been thinking about it, I think it's our task, it's totally possible to just kind of swap out different kinds of identities, at least um, in some cases. Um, or views of groups or, or this sort of thing. Um, it's just not something that we've we've had the chance to do, but I think it's totally plausible. Um, I think then you can have then, what this can do is then help us answer different research questions. Um, and I don't really have a firm view on which is the, like I have a hunch, but I don't, I'm not theoretically committed to any, to any of these. Um, but it could be that like, well, maybe people's policies are really important and then the you know, the group stuff is kind of peripheral and it's not so important. Other people would suggest that, hey, like group group identity is hugely important, a big factor in our politics. If that's the case, we should see them connected to a bunch of different policies. 
um, and to be um, influential on those policies. Um, I kind of think that's where things likely, that's what we'd find. Um, but I mean, that's something that's definitely testable with this method. Um, I think when I think about belief systems, it's these connections between these types of beliefs. And I will have a pretty broad view of what I would consider like acceptable to, to be tested within that thing. And I think people's identities are in some ways an attitude about a group. It might just be a group that you belong to um, and, um, and your place in that group. Uh, I think that's great. And I think we can try to integrate that and see how those that shakes out within this kind of belief system type approach that we've been working on. So in the original converse conceptualization, there are some people who think about politics in terms of belief systems, um, but there are some that are better regarded as thinking about how, which side is trying to benefit what groups in society. Um, there are others uh, who are just thinking about how things are going right now and who is in charge. And then there are some people who have no real understanding of, of politics. So uh, to what extent do you buy that what you're doing should just apply to some portion of the, the population and really for some other set of, of people in, the, in society, belief system is not the way that they think about politics. Yeah, so the, the way I've been thinking about this is that um, it's just kind of an empirical question whether or not somebody has a belief system. So I wouldn't say that everybody has a belief system or, or an organized belief system or anything like that. Um, in some of in our studies, there are people who basically um, respond such that things are very little, there's very little connection between things. Um, and other people who respond, it's like everything is strongly connected all the time. Uh, so those are maybe our ideologues from the converse stuff. And I think the first are kind of more who cares about politics people. Uh, and so I think this is more just a, a, a kind of a open question. Uh, the way that what's nice I think about our methods is that if you don't care about politics, there's you can respond in ways that essentially, or you don't, you don't think nothing is connected. And you can respond in ways that indicate that. Um, and I think that's useful, um, at least so then we... Um, you know, we haven't looked to see if we get similar um, percentages to what Converse would expect, but we could. Um, and uh, I think that would be interesting. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's what I think is nice about this. Is we're not forcing people to have a particularly structured belief system. Or, you know, that's not like forced upon our participants. We're asking them to tell us what they have. Um, and that also means that there's going to there's gonna be some people who see like economic issues and social issues as being part of the same comp but other people might see them as much more differentiated. Um, and other people see that nothing is connected ever. And I think that's kind of a, a virtue of our method is that we can get at some of this uh, diversity of opinions and um, approaches to politics that I, I personally think are, exist out in the, the world of people. <laughs> So I guess it's a virtue that everybody can kind of describe themselves and their views. On the other hand, though, it might kind of put everyone in this box that I guess Converse would think only some people should be in. So I guess what if, let's say there's uh, someone whose politics really are de uh, defined by nature of the times. That is, it really is how are things going right now and who's in charge and that's how they think about things it seems like this wouldn't be the right approach. And so at one point, at some point, we'd, we'd need to say sort of, well, you're, you might, we might be able to char characterize your belief system, but that's not how you think about politics. Yeah, I think, I think what would be interesting there, and um, I think it's an open question, um, is if we could get these kind of measures over a, a relatively longer period of time, 
Um, so we, in, in our own study, we have this, these measures over like a one week period of time and over that period of time, they're pretty stable, um, but that's not enough to capture the nature of time spent argument. But if we have them available over a longer period of time, look at those people who change over that time, look at the people who stay pretty similar over that time and see if, and this, you know, takes a lot of forethought to do this, but like have them, you know, do experiments where you try to change their attitudes and see if those attitude, those experiments have different implications for those people who changed over time. Um, and that would give us a sense of whether this is really how they're, they're thinking about things or if this is um, just kind of reporting something that they're, you know, observing out in the world without, you know, getting deep into their psychology of how things are connected. So you work at the intersection of psychology and political science, uh, and obviously we've been talking about drawing from uh, both uh, literatures, which I know that you do, um, but I thought it was a good opportunity to sort of tell political scientists the way that psychologists think that might be useful to them. Uh, so what, what do you think uh, political scientists don't pay enough attention to in the part of psychology that's most related? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I actually, so I'm, I'm pretty, I, I think most, most scholars do fine. So like, um, I think, you know, people who are keeping up with the literature and so on are, are doing fine. Um, this is not such a big problem, um, overall, which I think is maybe different people's to have different mileage may vary with that, but at least within this kind of ideology and belief system space, there's a lot of kind of back and forth, which I really like. Um, I think one thing that I would like um, political scientists um, to think about more, I think, is how things might be more specific to an individual. Um, I don't think that this is something that nobody's thinking about, just to be clear, because I, I mean, I can already hear the counter arguments in my head to this statement. But um, I, I think there's there's something to be said about like thinking about what it would mean to have more of a person-focused psychology of political ideology or political belief systems. Um, we're often really focused on big picture stuff, or at least the, on the political science side especially. Institutions, political parties, these are obviously important. But when we think about a person and their kind of daily life, they don't really experience parties or um, ins political institutions very much. They experience their friends and their family um, they experience their workplace and, um, you know, or they just, you know, TV, whatever, you know, normal TV, not Fox News, not MSNBC. They're watching soap operas and, you know, things that are funny and so on, like good TV. Um, and thinking about how these things kind of create a environment that not everybody's going to have similar politics and it's not going to just be purely a engaged, not engaged story, but, um, all of these different experiences, their identities within these different opportunities to learn about politics, but also about other parts of life um, might combine to have these really kind of individualized experiences and thoughts about politics and worldviews. Um, and I think trying to think through what uh, kind of the science of political ideology or political belief systems looks like from that point of view, I think would be really interesting and I think would be a useful step forward. And what about from the political science side? Is there anything you're repeatedly telling psychologists that they should uh, hear from political science? Yeah, so I mean, psychologists should really pay more attention to the institutions and the political parties and things like that. Um, I think one thing that's like the, the thing that keeps me up at night, I guess, as a researcher in this space 
uh, and this might apply to political scientists to some degree too, but it's just that everything we're studying is just an accident of the times. And that if we go back 10 years or we go forward 10 years, it's going to be totally different um, and not because of any deep insight, like it's just kind of happenstance. And we're, for whatever reason, we're all just studying happenstance. Um, I think this is maybe less of a concern for political scientists because they're often the implicit and sometimes explicit goal is how is politics happening right now? For psychologists, our implicit and sometimes explicit goal is how do people work generally? And so if it changes radically over a couple of decades, well, it suggests that we were wrong about how they, how they operate generally. Um, and so then I think we need to think about how do we, how do we like develop general theories of politics that make good predictions about what happens, well, that what happened two decades ago, what's happening now, and what will happen in a decade further. And maybe that's not possible, um, but you know, if we want to have a general kind of science of these things, that's something we need to, I think, focus on, and I think is um, was challenging um, for anybody. Um, the other alternative here, though, is to take kind of more of the political science type approach, which is um, is to treat kind of social psychology more as like history, in a sense. We're documenting what psychology looks like now or what psychology belief systems look like now. And uh, in a decade, we'll document it again, and it might be the same or it might be different, and we'll, we'll find out. Um, I think that seems to be less satisfying to psychologists overall, but, I mean, it might be what we're doing just by accident. Um, and that's okay, but <laughs> we maybe should be aware. And so you say that we assume a lot more temporal validity maybe than we can. Um, there's also geographic differences yes. that I know that are getting a lot more attention. So the, the conventional split is that, you know, in political science, we have people called Americanists, just like history, who yep. think they're studying the U.S. only. Psychology doesn't, but we have 80% of the data coming from the U.S. So um, yeah. talk a little bit about that. Are we studying belief systems or are we studying the American public? I, mean, I think it depends, um, of course, on the, the study, for example. Um, so in psychology, we, we have, um, well, so I'm a social psychologist that, or a political psychologist. That's my subfields or whatever. Um, but there are there is a branch of psychology called cultural psychology and a closely related branch called cross-cultural psychology. Please don't ask me the difference between those two, but people in them know there's a difference between the two. Um, and they are studying other cultures, and it's kind of similar to the comparativist in political science. Um, I guess the, the as a social psychologist who mostly studies Americans, I should maybe call myself an American social psychologist to be consistent with what's actually happening. Um, but I do think the, the cross-country differences are really important and are often understudied. There are some people who have been doing a really nice job taking advantage of things like the World Value Survey, European Social Survey, and these sorts of things to try to get a sense of where there's similarity and differences, which I think is really nice. Um, and some of the, the studies I talked about today, or at least kind of uh, in the background to some of that, was we're, we are using data from other countries. So like I, I mentioned a 10-year study, that was data from the Netherlands, for example. Um, and uh, there, I, I actually, what's kind of interesting is in that study, we have data from the US that's longitudinal, and we have data from the Netherlands that's longitudinal. Um, but like at, you know, people's positions about parties can't be the same. The Netherlands has, I think, t around twenty parties in their parliament at the moment. Um, the U.S. you know has our normal two plus a few weirdos essentially, and um, 
so you can't ask about those things the same. But the policy stuff is is not like radically different in how it's correlated. Um, and a lot of the properties in the data were otherwise the same. Attitudes were similarly stable. The kinds of the kind of size and of correlations were similar, and like the difference between like this uh, between person societal level stuff and within person over time stuff is very similar across the studies. So I think there is going to be stuff that's similar. It's just a matter of kind of identifying what's going to be similar beforehand and what's like due to just the different parts because of it's a different country and different system versus what's about the psychology of the person. And um, I think there's people working towards that, but it is a big issue. And I don't think we'll, <laughs> I don't think we'll have that solved anytime soon. So your chance to tout what's next. What are the biggest uh, open-ended questions here? Um, and what are you working on? Yeah, so I think there's a few things um, that's just to tap into what we talked about. So one is that we're right now we're getting we're going through and planning some new studies using this conceptual similarity measure, looking to see how this um, works out over time. Again, not super long time, so we're not going to get your nature of times arguments in here, but looking at if people with differently structured belief systems maybe have more stable attitudes, so people who are connecting their attitudes more to partisanship, do they then have more stable attitudes over time than people who are connecting their attitudes to other things? Um, and in the same study, because it's going to be a pain, so we might as well hit multiple things at the same time, we're also looking at and seeing if we can um, run some more of these persuasion studies and looking to see if we can targeting different attitudes if this has different sorts of dynamics depending on people's uh, the structure of people's belief systems. Um, and so those are some things that we're working on now. The other thing that I'm kind of interested in that we have some kind of started to look at in different realms is this idea that people's political attitudes and kind of how they're related is kind of in some ways a very person-specific thing. Um, and so we have some, we've been looking at longitudinal data, looking at how like even things like the strength of partisan identity and its relationship with effective polarization, um, how that actually, what we find is that's really different across people. There's a lot more to learn. The Science of Politics is available bi-weekly from the Niskanen Center. I'm your host, Matt Grossman. If you like this episode, I think you'll like our prior discussions of partisanship, ideology, and public opinion. Check out The American Public's Growing Ideological Sophistication, How Primary Elections Enable Polarized Amateurs, Racial Protest, Violence, and Backlash, When Liberals and Conservatives Use Genetics to Explain Human Differences, and How Political Values and Social Influence Drive Polarization. Thanks to Mark Brandt for joining me. Please check out Measuring the Belief System of a Person and Belief System Networks Can Be Used to Predict Where to Expect Dynamic Constraint, and then listen in next time. (music) 